0: Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep and more. Shame is a very powerful word. When someone says they feel ashamed of what they've done, you think it's big league wrongdoing like Lance Armstrong cheating in his races. But the truth is that shame can be an everyday kind of feeling, one that parents can use inadvertently on their children. Karen Young is a parenting educator and author. Hi, Karen. Welcome to Feed Play Love. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, how would you define shame?
1: So shame is... I'm a bad person and it's anything that makes us question who we are and whether we're good people. Guilt is I've done something bad. That's okay. We can get through that. But shame is is more about our sense of self and, and how we define that and are we good, are we not good.
0: I think a lot of parents listening to this would be like, oh, I know what shame is.
1: I, there's
0: no way I would shame my kids. But I have a feeling that many of us, inadvertently use shame when we think we're disciplining our kids. I'm wondering if you'd agree and if you do, how they might do
1: that? Absolutely, I agree with that. And I think I think most, if not all, parents would do it inadvertently, inadvertently. Um, what that looks like is anything that makes kids question their character or who they are. So that might be, um, who do you think you are? Or, or i'm I'm so I'm so done with you or anything that does the you're bad, which is very different to you've done something that isn't okay. Shame is anything that kind of emotionally separates them from us, which is why it is so destructive because we think we're redirecting them onto the right path, but we're not because as soon as we do that, Part of the brain that can actually hear us and take our guidance actually shuts down the thinking brain. So we can't influence them and we can't guide them. The other thing shame does is it drives a defensiveness first in all of us. We all tend to go into a little bit of shame sometimes when we we know we've done something wrong. And that's okay if it steers us to going, all right, I messed up. It's the thing that keeps us not being awful to people or sticking to the rules in a way which keeps everybody and ourselves safe. So it kind of steers us. It does have a purpose, but we can very easily and very quickly tip into too much shame. When
0: you were saying that, something um, came to mind for me and that was if you have a child who might be particularly clumsy or head in the clouds kind of thing, and I can hear in my head parents probably saying something like, oh, come on, mate, use your eyes. Come on, you're old enough to know better. Is that kind of a form of shaming?
1: It is a form of shame if it's going to make kids do the whole, um, especially if it's things they can't help, and that's going to make them question things like, well, they think I'm old enough to do better and and I'm not doing better, so does that mean... And they start to drive their own deficiency story there. I'm just not good at concentrating. I'm just not good at doing the right thing. And it becomes more a global thing.
0: It becomes a story that they're telling themselves.
1: It does. And we don't want that. Of course, we have to let them know because they need to feel our leadership and and we need to let them know when something they've done isn't okay. But what we have to do then is address the behaviour. When you did this, you know it wasn't okay. You're a really great kid and I know you didn't mean for this to happen, but this is what's happened. How can we um, sort that, which is very different to you're old enough to know better. They might be old enough to know better, but that doesn't mean that they're always going to be able to do better because we all, we're not, none of us are perfect. Um, So we really need to target the behaviour more than who they are. There will be times we let slip and that's that's okay as long as we repair that quickly.
0: What you were saying there about, you know, they need leadership from us mm. also makes me think about that idea of us as parents being their guide and how we look at discipline. So if you're shaming a child, uh, that might be because you expect them to know better. But then I always question, well, did I teach them properly in the first place? because there's mm. lots of things that we do unconsciously because we're adults and that we know this is how you do things that we would have been taught when we were younger by role modeling or by someone telling us so when a 7 year old or younger a child does something that you think is inappropriate and you go get cross with them and see that as disciplining you know mm. like saying oh don't knock over that drink you put it way too close why did you put it so close to the edge of the the table or whatever it might be when in reality what you're talking about is discipline as leadership guiding teaching a child and therefore our language I think we it would be easy to shift our language if we saw it that way
1: absolutely the other thing I think is um you said in there you know we're talking about when they 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 should know better so they should do better we all know better. We all know what we should do, but that doesn't mean we always do it, even as adults. So so kids are going to get it wrong sometimes. The other point I want to make, and I think this is an important one, what I say um, to parents is you're raising your kids towards adolescence from day one. And it's about how safe we are to come to. So if we respond to their mistakes and messes by making them feel bad about themselves, what we're setting up here is something we don't want which is when they are older and they have the capacity to keep things from us or do things without checking in that's what they're going to do we're actually going to lose the capacity to influence and guide them they are going to mess up they're all going to mess up we want to be the first place they come to when they make that mess now if when they were little when they did little stuff, like knocking the drink off the table or tripping over something and breaking a vase, whatever it is, if we responded to those little things with shame and made them feel bad, why would they come to us with the big things? Because we've just shut the door on that. So from really early on, one of the things shame does is it actually shuts down our way to influence them. It shuts down their pathway back to us. When, when we w- actually want them to reach for our guidance.
0: And we also want that openness with their emotions. So we, you know, our Australian culture can be pretty hard on when kids get upset about small things and mm-hmm. cry. Yes. But if we tell them they shouldn't cry and we shame them about their emotions, then that can't be a good thing either.
1: That's right. And what what tends to happen if we shame them for feelings? Kids can't learn to manage big feelings, whether it's angry at us, whatever it is, unless we let them have them. When we shame them for big feelings or for crying or whatever it is, what we're actually saying to them is, I can't handle the way you feel. I can't handle the way you do this feeling stuff. That's what they're going to hear. They're not going to hear uh, necessarily, I just need to redirect it a different way. We need to teach them for that. And for that, we need them open to us. So it doesn't work for us to tell them what's wrong if we're actually not, when when actually what we need to do is is tell them how to do it differently or better. It, it just doesn't, doesn't work. But what we end up with, if kids don't feel like we can handle how they feel they just stop feeling well they don't stop feeling they just shut it down and we don't want that because Mm. feelings are energy in motion when that energy is in them they'll find other ways to deal with it if it's not to actually feel Um, and that's where we can get into all sorts of things that adolescents and adults use to try and just control um that white hot emotional system us, which is in all of us. So what we want is to be able to, when they do stuff, hold that gently, unpack it with them and redirect them. But shame shuts down that process.
0: Moving back to behaviour, because I definitely took us on a tangent there (laughs) with emotions. Um, Could you give us some examples of how we might look at a situation that requires discipline where we are concentrating on the behavior and not the child so that we use the right language
1: so let's say let's say they've lied to you you've found out that they've they've lied to you shame would look like you are such a liar who do you think you are how dare you do this that's shame i thought you were better than this that sort of thing they're going to question who they are now what we want to do is make it because we want to influence them. The messages we want to get across is lying isn't okay. I'm really safe to come to, you don't need to lie to me. And the reason that's important is because whatever they're lying about, they're doing it for a reason, possibly self-preservation for us, but also because they, they think they can handle whatever it is without us getting involved and they know we're going to shut them down. So what that would look like otherwise is saying, um, so if we've found them out in a lie, What that would look like is, hey, I know that this has happened. You're a really great kid. I want you to feel like you can come to me about stuff. You don't need to lie. It doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything you do. I also want you to know that the thing you're lying about doesn't upset me as much as the lie. So how can we work through this? And then we can um, put it to them. It depends on the situation what happened that made you feel like you needed to lie? So we've completely focused on the behavior. And then it might be they've lied about, you know, being with friends or they've lied about homework or they've done something. Then we say, you know, I really get why you felt like you needed to, I get that. I know, you know, this isn't okay. How can we stop this happening again? What can I do that will make it easier for you to come to me? And how can I know that that's going to happen. What is this going to look like? Maybe for the next week or two weeks and then respond, we need to build the trust again between both of us. Because if you've lied to me, it means that in some way I haven't felt safe enough for you, but I also need to be able to trust you. So for two weeks, what we're going to do is, I'm going to check your work or I'm going to check in with the teacher next week and whatever the response is, then then you go to that. But we're completely focused on the behavior speak to them as though they are the people we want them to be. I know you're a really great kid. I know you know that it's not okay to lie. I know that. It must have felt like there was something more important that you needed to to do here, but I know you know that's not okay. So let's talk about that.
0: The second part of what you're saying there seems to be getting their buy-in, asking them to work with you on a solution. How important is that?
1: It's everything because there are going to come times when they're older that they need us to workshop a solution with them. If we lecture and preach, they shut down. We all do. After about 30 seconds of hearing someone lecture and preach, we shut down, especially if we, and we do it ourselves as adults. We shut down. We go into shame um, or defensive aggression, what would you know, or defensive retreat, they just ignore you. But what we want to do is by getting their buy-in what we're we're doing a few things. One of the things we're saying is what you think and feel is really important to me. Doesn't mean we're always going to agree with it, but we need them to know um, it's important because there's going to come a time where we want them to use their voices and we want them to use their own mind. And if we keep this idea that we're the ones who set the rules and 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 what they think doesn't matter, That's what we're teaching them, that your voice doesn't matter, your opinions don't matter, and they do. So we make space for them. The other thing we're doing when we invite their buy-in is we're actually exercising that part of the brain that can solve problems and that can turn and face things and think of things a different way and explore things rather than the first thing that comes up for them. And we're also telling them we're really safe, even the biggest strife that you get into or the stuff that feels the biggest for you, come to me, we'll talk about it together. I'm not going to try and control you. There's going to be limits on what I'm okay with. But what we need to trust is kids kind of know that the as long as we're reasonable, the limits we set, they get that there needs to be limits. They might not like it, but they get that they need to be there. So what we're doing is making ourselves a really safe sounding board for them. Again, I really want to um, stress that this isn't about being warm and fluffy. There has to be two parts to this. One is the leadership. And if we want to lead them, we need to make sure that they feel okay following. There's no good leading and lecturing and preaching if they're way off in the corner, um, hiding their heads in shame or shutting us down because they're defensive or angry. That's not leadership. That's control. But there also needs to be a caretaking part of leadership, of all leadership, there needs to be caretaking. Otherwise, it does feel like control, it's just not going to land. So that caretaking comes in with the, I care what you think. I care about how you were feeling when you did this. I care about what's going to happen in the future. And the leadership comes in with, with I'm going to listen to what you say, and then we're going to talk about where the limits of this are.
0: You said earlier in the interview that we we all make mistakes, we all we're all imperfect, and there will be times that we say something and then maybe later in the evening we reflect on it and think, "Oh wow, that that was a really shaming thing to say to my kid." If you've done that, is the damage done or can we repair this situation? And if we can, given, you know, words can hurt. Yeah. How do we repair it? If we only kind of get time to think about it, because we're trying to change patterns of behaviour, it can be hard, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: If we reflect on that later, how do we address it with our kid?
1: So the first thing I want to say is we are going to do that. We are going to say and do things that hurt our kids. That's a given. These can be really important opportunities as well to model compassion, empathy, forgiveness, humility If we just shame and and don't come back to it, one of the things we're saying to them is shame is an appropriate way to actually control people and to get an outcome. We don't want them doing that. We don't want them having relationships with friends or intimate relationships when they're older or they might end up in leadership roles in organisations. We don't want them to be using shame. So the first thing we have to teach them is that. Now, having said that, there will be things we do that aren't okay. We reflect on it later and go, okay, so the message behind it, I meant, but I didn't mean the way I said it. So then we come back and we model that humility and there's so much strength in humility. That's also where leadership comes in, which is that I can still hold space here and I'm still flying this plane, even um, when there was a little wobble, I'm taking control back of this plane. And what that looks like is, um, hey, I'm really sorry we argued before. I said some things I shouldn't have said and I'm sorry for that too. Don't sell it as they caused it so what we don't want to do is say you know if you're going to make me angry if you're going to say that stuff this is what i'm going to do because we need to rise above all of that um so what we say is we just say sorry i sorry i did that i would really like us both to work on speaking to each other more respectfully i'm going to do that and i know that You know, that's the person you are and that's the person you want to be. So let's work on it together. But I just want to say for my part in this, I'm really sorry. We're not letting them off the hook for their part. We're taking ownership of our part. Um, and then if they just sit down and you know, <laughs> they're quite smug because they think they've interpreted this as us taking responsibility for the whole thing, um, it would be OK to say, I'm wondering if there's anything you wish you did differently and open the way up. What we're doing there is I want to give you the experience of saying sorry and taking ownership and feeling OK in that because, you know, they're the humans we want to raise. And then when they do say sorry, we go, you know, that was it's hard owning your stuff, isn't it? And it means a lot to me that you did. And let's just both try and do better.
0: Karen, such wise advice. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: That's parenting educator and author Karen Young. She has a website. It's called Hey Sigmund. I'll put links to it in the notes of this episode.